How many believe that God is a God of amazing grace? Praise the Lord. This morning, we're going to take a little trip. We're going to look through the life of four people and see what God has done in their lives and how He revealed His love, His grace, His mercy to them. And the thing I like about the Scriptures is that it shows us not just the accounts that other people had with the Lord, but when we look into our, their lives, we can find ourselves. We can find that they had the same emotions, same experiences, same encounters that you and I have. They had to process and deal with the same circumstances that you and I deal with day to day. And yet God showed up and revealed His grace, His mercy, and His truth into their lives the same way He will for you and me. Amen? Amen. And so this morning, we want to begin just talking about resurrection and all that He has done for us. And that's the theme of our whole day. But I heard uh, Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty the other day, and he had a great statement. He said, let me get this straight. They killed you, they buried you, and you came back. He said, that's good enough for me. He said, why complicate the issue? They killed you, they buried you, and you came back. That's all it takes for me. And that's really what we're declaring today, that Jesus came. He identified with us, not when we were right, but when we were lost. And He saw the value that He created in us. And that identity and that value is what set the direction of His life to go to the cross. He didn't say, as soon as you get better, as soon as you clean up, as soon as you sober up, straighten up, get off this, get off that, and you get your life together and quit making all your mistakes, I will identify you with you and help you. He says, I identify with you right where you are. And I see the value that I created in you. And I choose to have my life go in the direction that will set you free. How many are thankful for that? Amen. You know, in the land of Israel... It was interesting during the times of Jesus, and it is still somewhat that way today. But in the south is Judea, and the north is Galilee. And when you read the ministry of Jesus, He's ministering in Judea, and He's ministering in Galilee. And in, right in the middle is Samaria. And how many know that on treasure maps, there's usually an X that marks a spot? And if you look at Samaria, nobody would have ever put an X on that and say, that's the place where the treasure is. Nobody except Jesus. Because Samaria was a land where all the unrest was, where all the dissension was, where all the conflict was, where the racism and sexism of their day and everything that was happening, a lot similar to what we're seeing in our society today, was in Samaria except just on steroids. The conflict that was there during that day was intense, so much so that Jews traveling from the south, from Judea to Galilee, would completely avoid it. They would cross over Jordan, go up the eastern side, and then come back on the other side. But Jesus chose to do something different because he knew the treasure, true treasure, lied in Samaria. See, resurrection is about being raised from death to life. The story behind the life of Jesus is not just life after death at the end of life. It is the gift of being raised to newness of life while we are alive. Next Sunday, 
We're going to celebrate, celebrate water baptism. And in that, that's our declaration. We are buried with him here. We identify. And then we are raised with him in newness of life. We walk in that life now, not just in heaven. Amen? So resurrection is a restoration. I want you to think for a moment. Think about all the things that we restore. Amen. Placerville has, has all the antique stores up and down the lines up there. You walk up and down the street, there's antique stores, people that do restoration. Chip and Joanna Gaines have made a fortune on restoration. Think about it. We restore everything back to their original tent and purpose. Cars, homes, antiques, almost anything else you can think of. But Jesus also came to restore and to bring resurrection life back to those who are alive but actually dead to restore us to our original purpose, to give us back life more abundant. The Bible says that you and I were dead in our trespasses and sin, but he came to give us that life. See, Jesus' ministry was imbued with the divine sense of timing. Although he was on a collision course with, with the religious leaders of his day, that day was not yet to come. And that time of confrontation was ahead of him and would come later. So he decided to leave Judea and go to Galilee. But instead of taking the scenic route, he chose the direct route. On his way, he was faced with the choice of going around through the part of his land, scarred with the divide among the Jewish people and the Samaritans that seemed, that seethed with hatred, racism, and more conflict than possibly could be articulated this morning. There was a divide between them greater than anything we have ever seen in our nation. And yet, rather than go around them and avoid the issue, he went through Samaria. And so Jesus, a Jew, had made the choice to love everybody, even the Samaritans. He understood the historical issues and was aware of the hatred and conflicts between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. Regardless about, about that, he was willing to put the X on the map right in the middle of Samaria. In John chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. And this is one of the most powerful verses in the whole story because it speaks of the divine mission that Jesus was on as the ultimate reconciler that would extend the grace of the gospel and salvation to all people. What that means is that there's no place Jesus won't go and there's no one that Jesus won't accept when it comes to his grace and his forgiveness amen even if everybody else is avoiding it he will go there to accept them so how would he do that he's the ultimate reconciler how would he demonstrate it he would go to a woman there he stopped by a well during the sixth hour of day which was high noon and in the heat of the day as the back half of the uh, verse six says it says jesus wearied from his travel and from his journey was sitting beside the well and it was about the sixth hour and Jesus waited patiently for his divine appointment to show up and she arrived right on time think about it what would unfold in the subsequent verses set in motion a statement I want you to hear that Jesus made a declaration from heaven perspective regarding evil unnecessary racial, sexist, and religious barriers, this statement would lead to a reconciling salvation with overflowing bounty far beyond what his disciples would realize in the moment. 
just said, everybody else is avoiding it. You don't see it. I'm going to plant myself right in the middle of this, and I'm going to bring restoration to it, and I'm going to declare to you, this is heaven's decree over division. Division is not supposed to exist. I am the reconciler. Can you say amen? And that's what he did with the woman at the well. Think about it. She represents... The woman at the well came to, into an encounter with living water. Like many today, she was fetching water but dying of thirst. Lost in a desert of despair and isolation, caught up in the sandstorm of failures and disappointments, her being scorched by the heat of condemnation and rejection, ridicule and shame, she was searching for some shade and relief, finding none until she came in contact with God's Redeemer. Today she represents everyone who has yet to receive that drink of living water. Everyone who is still lost in the desert of their path. Everyone who is fetching water from the wells of this world, but inside you're still dying of thirst. See, Jesus and the woman were alone, an awkward situation. Number one, for him to even be talking to her was awkward. Number two, for a man to be conversing with the woman in that culture openly is awkward. And it was awkward for her, but it was intentional on his behalf. The conversation is amazing. Because if you read it in John chapter 4, it moves from water to worship to salvation. It's amazing what the Lord did. So maybe you are like her today. Feeling a bit awkward. Caught in the in-between place between your failures and your future. Unsure and unclear of how or even if you can find peace in an answer. I was there one day. But today the answer has set this day as the divine encounter for you. Jesus is here with living water. He's moved intentionally towards you today. See, the woman thought she was just going to the well on her own accord. You thought you came here today. Somebody invited you. You just chose to go along. This is all your own choice and will. He set this as a divine encounter for you, just like he did for her. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. The woman said, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for water? Jesus replied, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. The book of John, chapter 4. They say your life could change in an instant. And mine did when a Jewish man asked me, a Samaritan, for a drink. I have been drinking from the same well for more years than I could count. For me, change seemed impossible. I didn't even want it. But the well always left me thirsty. So I came back to it over and over when no one else could see me. I always came alone. The truth was, I had no husband.
he told the truth. The real part of my life. The one I tried to hide, but he looked right through me and met me where I was. He wasn't ashamed of me. He wasn't angry. In my life, I thought I'd experienced love. I thought I was pretty good at finding it too. But I didn't even know what love was. On an ordinary day, I went to draw water and had a thirst quenched I didn't even know I had. I don't know if they'll believe me, but I gotta try. I gotta tell them I found the Messiah. Rather, he found me. in grace and mercy there is nowhere we can hide from your love you are steadfast never failing you are faithful all creation is in awe of who you are you're the healer of the sick and the broken you are comfort for every heart that mourns our king and our savior forever for eternity we will sing of all you've
story. Joseph, maybe many of us could relate to. He's a man of position, a man of wealth, a man of influence, a man who's spent his whole life committed, has convictions, and uh, but yet he comes in contact with truth. That truth challenges him and pushes him towards change. And a greater change than he ever thought that he would have to experience or even figure out how to navigate. See, Joseph's dilemma is this. He believes in Christ, but everything he has lived for his entire life is now at stake. Those who are claiming to believe in Christ are being expelled from the synagogues, kicked out of their positions, and ostracized from their community and their way of life. Remember the story in John chapter 9? Just briefly, young man sitting by the road, the disciples said, Who sinned him or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus says, Neither but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. 
Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud, puts it in the man's eyes, and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He comes back, seen, and people begin to ask him, how did you gain your sight? Jesus made mud, put it in my eyes, told me to go wash. Next thing you know, he finds himself on trial in church. Amen. If that, instead of being celebrated, he's on trial. And then what do you say about this man? And finally he says, I believe he's the Christ. I believe he's from God. He couldn't do this unless he was sent from God. His his parents wouldn't stick up for him. His church kicked him out. But Jesus showed up and met him. Amen. Are you with me? And so Joseph is facing the same situation. All of us who know Christ as our Savior have wished we could do more for him and desire to live for him. Yet we've been faced with the perplexity of trying to fully understand his will and his purpose concerning our lives. Like Joseph, our lives have been changed through our encounter with Christ. And we could even say we're all in. But we still don't fully understand God's ways. And we're not sure if we're ready <clears throat> excuse me, to see everything in our lives change. So we believe, but we live out our faith in the shadows. John chapter 12, verse 43 and 44 says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God see Joseph of Arimathea was likely grouped with those referenced here but after witnessing what happened to Jesus on the night he was betrayed beaten illegally tried scourged and then put to death by crucifixion He stepped out of hiding into the light of public association as a follower and a disciple of Jesus. See, the Bible tells us in Matthew 26 that Joseph was part of the council that was deciding, making the decision concerning Jesus. He was that high up in the Sanhedrin and in the court there. And he was the dissenting vote along with Nicodemus. And so outside of Pilate's headquarters is where we find him. His courage has come to life and it has overcome his fear. And his loyal, loyal devotion to Jesus now surfaces in a new light. And he puts his life on the line for Christ. Meaning that for Joseph to go to Pilate and his position says that he was able to get an audience without an introduction. He goes to Pilate to contend for the body of Christ. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus has died. He has until sundown to get him into the burial according to the custom and the law. And so he has to to act and he has to act quick. And so it's time for his faith to be put on the line. And he knows that because of all the turmoil and the insurrection around the crucifixion of Christ, Pilate could literally have him sentenced to death for identifying with Christ. But instead, God gives him favor and he wins the body of Christ. Nicodemus comes along with 75 pounds of spices to anoint the body of Christ. They take him to Joseph's tomb. They lay him to rest. And we know the rest of the story. See, it's interesting that both Nicodemus and Joseph were followers of Jesus in the darkness and the secrecy until they emerged after Jesus died. It was from the cross forward that they followed Jesus openly and out from hiding in the shadows. Conversely, on the other side, the disciples who had followed Jesus openly throughout Jesus' public ministry ran into the shadows and hid once Jesus was arrested 
and taken to the cross. You see, only John remained by Jesus' side throughout the crucifixion. But Joseph and his friend followed uh, fellow council member Nicodemus were there to help in the final preparation. See, many of us today are like Joseph. We're committed to his cause and we will serve and give the best we have. We will plead for his body, even giving up our own tomb if it was asked for us, that he might be laid to rest. But not really realizing that God never asked for what we have to keep it for himself. When the Lord asks us to give, when He asks us to love, when He asks us to serve, He's never asking for us to give something away that He keeps for Himself. He said, you give it, I'll use it for my glory, and then I'll give it back to you, multiplied and covered with my grace. Amen? Amen. So think about it. Jesus borrowed the tomb of Joseph and changed its purpose forever. Never again would we have to view the grave as an end. The stone was rolled away from the grave for all of eternity. Jesus declared, he that believes in me will never die. Amen. Come on, for you and I today, if you're a Christian, you're born again, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Death no longer has a hold on. Come on, this is resurrection day. His promise is life. I want you to hear this. Jesus came to resurrect our lives out of the tomb of time. This is your day to leave the shadows and say yes to the Lord. My father once told me, privilege is the power to open doors in my life. However, that all changed the day I met a man who had great power but denied all privilege. He didn't ride in with fanfare, processional. He didn't ride in at all. He walked like everyone else. But he wasn't like everyone else. He touched the people that no one else would even look at. He ate meals with people that others felt only disdain for. Over time, I came to know him. Yeah, I followed him at a distance. I didn't speak up when they talked nonsense about him. I thought I loved him. But I wouldn't even step out of the shadows to follow him. My fear kept me paralyzed. Can I stay in the shadows any longer? Afraid of what people will think of me? He's dead. On that cross. At Golgotha. His body. Just hanging there. Waiting. For a soldier to take him down. And throw him in a pit to be buried with criminals. But I will not let that happen. Pilate could kill me just for asking for the body. It may cost me everything. If I get Pilate's permission, then I will go get his body 
and place it in my tomb. I must, I must do this one thing for him. At least this one thing. This is my tomb where I was supposed to be buried. And today, it will be used. Jesus will fill up the grave meant for me.
say hallelujah. ever spoken a word you wish you could take back man I do every Sunday my wife says amen but Dwayne says that's why I go to this church so I'm torn between two opinions hallelujah but Thomas spoke some words that I believe if he could have he would have been taken he could have taken them back see we've all faced seasons of doubts in our walk of faith you walk with Jesus for very long you go through a period where you have to stir yourself back up you have to reassure yourself you have to remind yourself suddenly's come unexpected challenges come Unexplainable things happen. Loss happens, tragedy strikes, things happen, take you off guard. And questions arise. It's normal. Thomas said this in John chapter 20, verse 25. He said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of those nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe that wasn't his heart but he was in a battle and that's what he spoke this infamous group of words ended up branding Thomas with the unfortunate nickname the doubter which is actually far from the truth if Thomas could have grabbed those words of demonstrative disbelief from the air and shoved them back into his mouth he'd do it in a heartbeat but he said it words were out there and they remain out there recorded as a moment in time that continues to linger for readers to observe dissect judge and label the one who said them we're good at that aren't we hearing people's words and labeling them by them Thomas remembered his moment well it happened on the day that Jesus rose from the grave John's Gospel records a memorable moment that Thomas would like to forget. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, like I said earlier, Nicodemus and Joseph came out after the cross. The disciples went into the shadows after the cross. And Jesus said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them the infamous words, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Why was Thomas filled with so much doubt? about what the other ten disciples were sharing with him regarding their encounter with the risen Lord. The answer may be tied to the immense heartache. You see, Thomas was working through his emotions after experiencing the brutal crucifixion of Jesus that Jesus had encountered just a couple of days earlier. The crucifixion crushed Thomas. 
Thomas's doubt did not come close to matching the devoted love that he had for Jesus. He loved way more than he doubted. Not being with his Lord caused Thomas to go into a deep, dark place with his immediate and overwhelming feelings of sorrow he was experiencing throughout that weekend. See, everybody deals with grief in different ways. Some want to be with other people to process, share, and carry forward their uh, carry forward together in community. Others, perhaps like Thomas, just want to be alone. But Thomas gets a label that he was the only one who had doubted Jesus' resurrection. Others were experiencing the same doubts and fears. He just vocalized his. We've all done that as we process through the pain and uncertainties of life. You see, it's important for us to notice the gentleness and kindness of Jesus who returns especially, I believe, for Thomas and for his benefit in that same room a week later. John goes on to record in the 20th chapter of his gospel. He says, eight days later, the disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, singled him out, said, Thomas, come here. Put your finger here. See my hand. Put your hand out and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, and we're faced with that. If you could see the Lord, see the nail print, see the scar. When we're facing those challenges, it'd be easier to always be strong in faith. But the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. And Jesus says that when we can believe without seeing, that there's a greater blessing that is upon our life. Think about that. You see, from this moment to the end of Thomas's life, he was convinced that Jesus had not only risen from the grave, but also that Jesus was his personal Lord and his God. Thomas's desire for proof is such that he simply wanted to know that he knew for sure that Jesus was indeed alive again. He died a martyr's death. If I remember my history right, he died preaching the gospel in India. How many people need to know that they know what they know? When it comes to their faith in Jesus as their Lord and their God, many seem to deal with similar doubts that Thomas expressed in the one moment of time. But I like what Pope Gregory the Great said six centuries later. He said this. He expressed the impact of the narrative when he wrote, Thomas's lack of faith did more for our faith than did the faith of the disciples who believed. His lack of faith. Jesus coming, showing himself, pouring his grace out on him, reassuring him, did more for you and I to know that in those dry moments, in those doubting times, God will always show up to reassure our faith. Amen. It's hard to be judged for one mistake, but it's what I'll be remembered for, I guess. I wasn't 
always the doubter. That's not who I am. I have a zeal for Jesus. I always have. When Lazarus died, no one wanted to return to Bethany with Jesus. The atmosphere there was volatile and dangerous. Jesus said he'd show us his glory. I assumed we'd all die there. Still, I'm the one who said, let's go. But then, then came this room. the time none of us understood as we sat at that table this is my body this is my blood he raised the dead he, he cast out demons even what could he possibly mean I didn't doubt it when they told me he was dead but how can you not doubt someone coming back to life? Some didn't doubt. But for me, it was harder. Maybe it was just that I didn't want to be disappointed. Many came after me who believed without seeing what I saw. Jesus called them blessed. Yes, I touched the place of the nails, the hole in his side. Such definitive proof that I cried out, my Lord, my God. But that wasn't the only amazing thing. The Almighty One, he came back for me. He didn't want to leave me behind in my doubt. He says, I'm worth that. And I'll follow him anywhere for the rest of my life.
still believe Though the questions still fog up my mind Promises I still seem to bear Even when answers slowly unwind my heart, I see you prepare Cause it's now that I see Your grace fall like rain From every fingertip Washing away my person we come to is Peter. Peter. I think Peter is the embodiment of all of our walks with God. We go from highs to lows, from outbursts of faith to moments of question and possible denial. Like Peter, we'll cut off the ear of the enemy and then run away in fear. We'll get out of the boat in obedience to his voice. 
then find ourselves sinking because we took our eyes off of him? See, like Peter, like Thomas, Peter's life reveals the grace of our Lord to us in many ways. Peter shows us we don't always have to get it right. We can have highs and we can have lows and still be used by God. He shows us we can process through all of our questions and express our zeal at the same time. And even at times speak out those things that only the Father can reveal to our hearts. Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do men say that I am? They all given their answers. Well, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're one of the prophets. Some people say you're this or that. Peter just goes, I know. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven speaks by revelation short time later Jesus is saying I'm going to be betrayed in the hands of sinners I'm going to die that's going to happen Peter says not so Lord I'll never let that happen and Jesus turns around and says get behind me Satan so you go from speaking for God to listening to the wrong voice and still being loved and used by God think about that see Peter was a man of action and reflection He believed, but he doubted. He would commit and then deny. He learned his lessons the hard way. I can identify. But he kept learning. He kept believing. He kept committing. And he finished strong. I believe that's the main point. It's not the process so much as the finish that counts. Because everybody's in the process. We can all see ourselves somewhere in the life of Peter. And we can all identify with the process in his life in some way. Yet regardless of how reckless and unstable Peter seems at times. The Lord sees his end. And knows what he placed inside of him. And Peter comes to the place where the man of action becomes a man of reflection and he remembers it all he looks back and he remembers it all and it changes him forever and he takes that memory hides it deep in his heart and he finishes his course with grace and strength he remembers the Hosanna the king has come the triumphant entry into the city but also into his heart He remembers it all. He remembers that day after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after Jesus ascended to heaven, or just before he ascended to heaven. And they're gone back to fishing, and the Lord appears on the shore, calls out to them in the boat, said, Hey, do you have anything to eat? Have you caught anything? He said, No. He says, Well, put your net on the other side. Catch a great draught of fish. Peter goes, oh, that fish in the net thing. That's Jesus. Dives out of the boat, swims to the shore. And Jesus says, come here, let me cook you breakfast. And then walks Peter through. Peter, do you love me? 
do you love me? Do you love me? And gives him complete restoration. And Peter reflected on that. He remembered and held on to that. And that's what God offers you. But he also remembers the miracle that he experienced with Jesus when he walked on the water. The amazing thing that the Lord teaches us and Peter teaches us that whenever you're in a storm, the miracle will always come walking towards you on the storms of your life. Jesus will always be with us and come to us walking on our storm. So many times we want Jesus to get down in it with us. I just need the Lord to get down in my mess because I don't like it down there. Tell you what I'll do. I'll invite you out here with me and we'll walk above it together. Amen? That's what he brings. That's what Peter remembered. We just have to have the faith to leave the security of our boat and walk with him by faith. I looked up and he was there. Just right there. Scared us at first. But then again at this point, why were we so surprised? I guess that kind of tells you how frustrating we were to him at times. We'd seen him do so many things. Miracles. Why did we act so shocked? I asked him if I could walk to him. And when did he ever say no to us? Never. Not once. And so I got out of that boat, just hopped out of it like we were on land or something. and I felt the wind it uh, felt like it just went straight through me all my confidence just slipped out of the bottom of my feet you should have heard them when he rode into Jerusalem can still hear them. Hundreds just lining the streets, chanting it over and over and over and over and over and over. Hosanna in the highest. Salvation has come. And they finally felt it. They finally celebrated him. And I... I already knew him. I knew he's the kind of king who reaches out and pulls you up, even if you have doubts. The one who always comes to help us. The one who always saves you when you call his name.
mom and daughter singing together. How good is that? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and verse 10. Paul says this, But indeed I also count all things lost, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. This one word that must be associated with the resurrection of Jesus, the power of that was present when Jesus rose from the grave on that first Sunday morning is immeasurable. Think about the great hymns of faith that remind us how there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. The infrastructure of sin, death, Satan, and hell were exploded upon by the power of God. When Jesus accomplished the mission, He came from heaven to earth to set off because of His great love for people. You know, a long time ago, I had a, one of those witness wear t-shirts, and I really loved it. I wore it till I got it all stained up and everything. But on the back, it just had a, a picture of the cross and it kind of graphicked out and stuff. But, but the slogan was, Jesus went to hell and beat the devil with a big ugly stick. And I like that was the coolest shirt to wear anywhere in public. You go, yeah, beat the hell with the devil with a stick. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm gonna get Frank one of those t-shirts, praise the Lord. Amen. See, the power that permeates the meaning of this day is not intended to be something merely to study and to learn about. The power of Jesus' resurrection is not something meant to just sing about. To gather and to pay homage to once a year in spring. The power found in the resurrection is intended to be encouraged with firsthand experiential knowledge. Paul said, I would lose everything if I could know him, and I'm willing to count everything as law to know him in the power of his resurrection. Think about that. He's taken it from a religious expression and celebration into a personal experience. Paul wants experientially to understand in his life the power of Jesus' resurrection. The power in the Greek word is dunamis. We get our word dynamite from that word power. See, power infused from God is beyond power mustered by religious determination and discipline of human. We can determine to do a lot. But we can do nothing in comparison to the resurrection power of Christ. See, Jesus' death upon the cross was about a powerful disarmament of sin and death. Jesus' resurrection was about the opportunity to know firsthand with life-changing experience and power that enabled people to live free and to live for God. This is the life God always intended for His people to experience and to know. This is a dynamite kind of life. It is available because of what Jesus did in power, not because of what we do by effort. No amount of our good 
can outweigh our bad in God's economy. Work as hard as you want. Try to be as good as you want. It'll never tip the scales in your favor. No amount of money can buy off our sin debt with an eternal payout. No amount of service can earn back a salvation that is unattainable without perfection. This kind of life is one that must be received as a gift. That includes the powerful love of the one who came to give his life as a ransom for you and me. See, today we celebrate because there's tremendous power in the resurrection. The woman at the well came in contact with that power. Joseph of Arimathea knew it and then he gave himself over to it and it brought him out of the shadows. Thomas knew it. He just had to figure out how to process it. And the grace of God helped him through that time. Peter, well, Peter was like you, wasn't he? He just needed a lot of attention from the Lord. And God was willing to give him all the help and all the attention that he needed. And that's the grace of God. That he loves you, he meets you, meets me right where we're at. This morning, we need to understand that what he did for one, he does for all. Jesus. 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 How sweet the sound, how magnificent the name, how miraculous the sacrifice that changed the world forever. Celebrated as the king with cheers, excitement, laughter. He's coming. He'll save us. But then the darkness knocked on his door. He opened it. He let it in. He didn't save himself from torture or death. This was his blood. This was his body. Poured out for everything I'd ever done. He was laid in total darkness. We were alone, without hope. We thought it was over. Until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. There is no grave that can hold him. That immovable stone moved. Dark grave, filled with light. He came back for me. He overcame everything I couldn't. My sin, the grave meant for me. The penalty that I was supposed to take. The end of me. Now has a beginning. His triumph. His death. His reign. His heart. He conquered death. And the miracle that was meant for the whole world. It's also the miracle just for me. Just for me. Just for me. Jesus. How sweet the sound.
Smile. 
bring the house lights up if they would. Maybe you're here this morning. I am. I'm going to turn Frank loose on all of you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's it, Frank. We found him. Hallelujah. Amen. We got you. Have a seat, Frank. Glory to God. Hallelujah. If you wanted to know, there's Frank. Amen. Amen. I love it. I love it. You say, who do you want in your church? All the Franks we can get. Amen. I want all the Franks I can get. Amen. Hallelujah. Think about that. I don't know about you. I remember a day. I remember a day. Some of you should say amen. amen. <laughs> Bow your head. Maybe you're here today. Resurrection Sunday. But you're the woman at the well. Going through life. Misunderstood, misinterpreted by everybody. Carrying more pain than water in your heart. Drinking, but never having your thirst for real life quenched. And you need living water today. You need to be free from your failures and your pain. And the Lord looks at you. He never sees your past. He only sees what He created you to be and the future that He purposed for you to live. Maybe you're here today and you're like Joseph. You've just been in the shadows. You believe, but you've wrestled with the cost of saying yes to God, coming out of the shadows and living open. And today's your day to step out of those shadows and be openly unashamed and bold for the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're like Thomas. Maybe you've been through those seasons and a suddenly hit your life. As a pastor, I've had to bury too many children and stand with parents. I've had to be through unexpected suddenlies of heartache and pain, of loss and grief. And like Thomas, you process that and you're going through that. And maybe it's even caused you to speak words of doubt, but your faith is anchored in your heart. But you need that reassurance that only He can bring by stepping in to your life and embracing you and letting you know that you're worth it. You're worth it all. Or maybe you're like Peter. You just need to remember it all. Remember it all. Put your feet on that path and just take off for His glory. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're in any one of those areas, I want to pray for you. And this is all I'm going to ask you to do. If you need any help from the Lord today in any one of those areas, you need His life, 
you need his reassurance you need that boldness or you just need that faith invigorated I want you just to stand right where you're at just be bold enough to stand right there right where you're at it was uncomfortable for the woman at the well it might be uncomfortable for you to stand but just let the Lord move in your heart right now we're going to pray together thank you Lord thank you Father thank you Holy Spirit you're touching you're moving right now thank you Holy Spirit thank you thank you for moving on hearts and lives would you all pray this prayer with me let's everybody pray it out loud Heavenly Father today I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ I believe you came to bear my sin take it to the cross gain the victory and give it to me today I declare Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. Today, I receive living water from the Lord. Today, I'm coming out of the shadows. Today, I'm setting aside my fears. Today, I'm stepping out in faith. From this day forward, I'm going to live to experience resurrection power in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a good praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. That's why He came. Amen. Now I'm going to ask our ushers to come. Let's seal this with communion today. Amen? Something powerful. I want you to think about this. In a moment, we're going to hold in our hand two simple little elements. Believing that they represent the body and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. In that skit with Thomas, Thomas says, there I was in that room. And there he was. Breaking bread. And saying, this is my body. There he was taking that cup and saying, this is my blood. What an amazing thought. And then he says, as often as you will, do this and remember this. This is Resurrection Sunday. I made a little clip the other day. And... I don't know how, but with religion, we always think God needs help. So we always make stuff up to help Him out a little bit. So somehow we've gone from resurrection to bunnies that poop eggs. A, a bunny cannot make an egg. That has to be something else. That's why Cadbury eggs are chocolate. If you want to exchange that for a resurrection, I will pray for you after service. Amen. See, that's how, that stuff my wife says. Amen. But that's why Dwayne's here. Hallelujah. But, Father, today we thank you 
that this is resurrection day. This is the day we remember you gave your life and shed your blood for us. And we are overwhelmed by your love and your grace. Would you stand with me? Exit to your left. Let the usher serve you. And we're going to receive communion together.